0: If uh, you've got a Bible then available, and the words will also appear on the screen behind me, would you like to find Paul's letter to the Romans and chapter 10? Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 4, Romans 10 verse 4, Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses described in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we're proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference... Between Jew and Gentile, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask Did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? For Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who didn't seek me. I revealed myself to those who didn't ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. The chapter started and we looked at it now some weeks back where Paul is sharing how much he cares about his people. My heart's desire, he says, prayer to God for the Israelites as they may be saved. He cares for them, cares for them so passionately that he prays for them. So we saw that the prayer comes out of caring and a deep concern for his own countrymen that they should be saved. And why he's concerned about them is that they had tragically missed the point. Zealous for God... But their zeal not based on understanding. And what they haven't understood is what it says in verse 4, that Christ is the end of the law, so that there is righteousness for everyone who believes. And we've looked at that in previous weeks, that the law was pointing to Christ. Christ com- concludes the law as a way of relationship with God. Now, relationship with God is not on the basis of what we do It's not about being some kind of superhero going up to heaven to bring Christ down or going down into the depths to bring him up. He's done it all. And it's a matter of faith, of believing in Jesus and believing and being saved. Hence, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The need, of course, is to be saved. But he says in verse 1 in My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is they may be saved. This is what it's about. Our desperate need of salvation, because of God's unimaginable, holy hatred of sin, and we've all sinned. We need to be saved, and we're saved by faith, by believing in Jesus, not by what we do but by what Jesus has done and simply receiving by faith. And so the glorious words in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the culmination of the passage and it's picking up something that was prophesied hundreds of years previously. It's a quote from the prophet Joel who is shown what God's going to do in the last days. And uh, he sees... A great outpouring of the Spirit in Joel chapter 2. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and so on. A, a, a prophecy of a great day coming. And he concludes uh, that, that uh, prophecy there in Joel chapter 2 and verse 32. He says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter, of course, picks that up on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out. He preaches to the crowd. He refers to Joel's word. and He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, a wonderful promise. What does it mean? Well, it talks about everyone. That's the, the great need of everyone. Everyone is in the same predicament. Everyone has the same need. Back in Romans chapter 3 and verse 21, Paul has said there, but now, having said how the law can't make anyone good enough for God, he says, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No difference, because everyone is in the same boat. Everyone has sinned. There are no special cases. There are no excuses. In the chapters leading up to chapter 3, Paul has said how the Jews looked like they were a special case. They had the law of God, but that law condemns them because no one has kept it. Then what about those who don't have God's law? Do they have an excuse? No, Paul says, they've got a conscience, and their conscience condemns them. Whether we've got God's law, or just it's our own conscience, whichever way. There, there are no exceptions, there is no difference. And now God's solution says, there's no difference. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. This is not just for one race, it's not just for any special people, it's for anyone Jew, Gentile, because we're all in the same position. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. What does that mean, to call on? Obviously, it's an expression we use when we visit someone, I'm going to call on a friend. No, it it means much more than that. It means crying out with a sense of need. It means crying out for mercy, crying out with a sense of, you're my only hope. We call on. It's it's more than just acknowledging the Lord Jesus Christ. It's more than just believing about him. It's more than kind of accepting the truth. It's calling on. It's saying, you're my only hope. Please save me. Everyone who calls on the Lord. It's one of the Words, the phrases that is used throughout the early, chapter, early books of the Old Testament of those who, who believed in God, they called on the Lord. The Abraham called on God from the line of Seth onwards. Men began to call on the name of the Lord, saying, "You're the one we believe in. You're the one we're trusting. Everyone who pins all their hope on Him will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name. The name of the Lord means who He is and everything about Him. In the Bible, names speak not just of a title, but of character. Names have a meaning. And we believe in Jesus. Well, what does it say uh, back in um, uh, just a few verses previously in verse 9? It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the name of the Lord. Jesus, the Savior. He's the Lord and is raised. We call on this one, Jesus. His name is so rich, it has so much meaning in it. Back in Acts chapter 4, when Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, Salvation is found in no one else For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He's earlier just spoken about the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. That's the name that we call on. The one who is wonderful counselor, the one who is everlasting father, the mighty God, the prince of peace, this Jesus. We say, he's the one I trust. I call on him. And everyone who does that will be saved. Will be, it's referring to the future. Ultimately, when we face God, we will be saved if we call on that name. And our great need is to be saved. Our great need is not to have our self-esteem bolstered. Our great need is not a sense of fulfillment. It's not healing. It's not wealth. It's not therapy. It's not any of those things. We need to be saved. That's our greatest need. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not a matter of trying to make your way to heaven. It's not a matter of doing great exploits. There is nothing we can do that can save us. But he is the Savior and everyone who calls on his name will be saved. And so verse 13 then is the glorious conclusion of this section. It all comes up to that with this wonderful statement, this terrific promise, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The great conclusion, and yet not, because it doesn't actually conclude what Paul is saying here. Because having made that great statement, he then launches into a list of questions in verses 14 and 15. There's the wonderful promise Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then some questions. How can they call on someone they don't believe in? How can they believe in someone they've not heard about? How can they hear unless someone preaches? And how can people preach unless they're sent? A sequence of questions that actually brings the whole thing back to the one who sends. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call unless they believe? And so the sequence runs and it comes back to someone sending. And who is the one who sends? It's God. And hence, verse 1. My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. The whole thing starts with God, and it's God who saves and it's God who sends people so that people hear and so on. It and so Paul is saying, "Oh God, I long for them to be saved." And it's God who has to start the process. Do you remember what Jesus said? In, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 9. Verse 37, he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There's then, that's the end of a chapter, up to the chapter divisions were put in later because the very next verse, start of the next chapter, then he called his twelve disciples to him, gave them authority to drive out evil spirits, to heal every disease and sickness, and he sent them. The harvest is plentiful. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send. How can they preach unless they're sent? It's God who sets the whole thing in motion, but something needs to be set in motion if people are going to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Because the invitation is wide. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so it says the sequence of questions and it ends with that quotation from Isaiah. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Why does he suddenly slip that in? Well, because it's it's taken out of a passage in Isaiah chapter 52 where the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the nation about what's going to happen to them. He has told them that as a nation, the unimaginable is going to happen, they're going to be conquered, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, they're going to go into exile. And he tells them the bad news, this is going to happen. But then he says... When he's spoken about all of that is going to happen, he says actually Jerusalem will be rebuilt. Jerusalem will be redeemed. And he speaks of the messengers coming with that that message to people who are in exile, who have lost all hope. There is hope. God has had mercy on your nation. And it's in that context he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. To people who are lost, good news is coming. And that then is brought into this context of everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Someone's got to tell them the good news. Someone's got to tell them it's not all lost. There is good news of God doing something new, of God changing all your circumstances, of God saving. So the sequence of questions, put them round the other way, and it starts God sending they got those that god sends they preach people hear hearers believe believers call and those who call are saved a wonderful sequence cause and effect all the way through would that it were that simple but there it is god sends they preach people hear hearers believe believers call And they're saved, because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But as I say, would that it were that simple, because every stage of that sequence needs to be in place for the end result to happen. If people are going to be saved, then all of those things need to happen. And there's the problem. The imperative, obviously, is for people to preach. God sends, and those he sends preach. Now, what is that referring to? Well, obviously, I'm standing here right now, and I'm preaching. So does this only relate, then, to people in my kind of position, people who preach? Well, yes, it does apply, obviously, to what I'm doing right now. But the term is much wider than that preaching, declaring good news. Yes, it's something that is done in public as we're doing right now, but it's also something that can be done personally. You read in the book of Acts how Philip, for example, goes into Samaria and he preaches to a city. And then next, the scene changes and he's talking to one man, an Ethiopian official, and he's preaching to him, one-on-one, just talking with him, telling him about Jesus. Yes, it's about public preaching, but also personal sharing of good news. And unless that happens, unless that happens, people can't hear. And if they don't hear, they can't believe. And if they don't believe, they can't call. And if they don't call, they won't be saved. Desperate. That's the need. People need to be saved. Each stage of the sequence needs to be in place. Now, at that point, can I gently suggest there's a problem. I don't know if it's because we're British, or it could be another thing. It could be that we have got hold of the message of grace, and that's good, but we've taken it a bit so far that we, we understand grace as meaning no pressure. And of course, we often say that. Don't put pressure on. No, it's grace. Grace is God transforming our hearts. So it's not pressure. It's not law. It's not you must. It's I want to. So no pressure. We often say that when we have the opportunity to give at the start of the meeting. We make it very clear. Yes, the, the blue uh, containers will go around, but there's no pressure. That's our understanding of grace. No pressure. Well then we can take that and apply it into this area and we think don't want to put pressure on anyone. So we've, for example, got a carol service coming. Got some invitation cards. But will giving one of those flyers to someone put pressure on them? Might. Better not do it then. Let's, Let's kind of Make them available, but don't want to pressure anyone. And just to hand it to someone, put some, you know, may, are, we, are we forcing something down their throat? Well, please don't force an invitation card down anyone's throat. But giving it to someone, we, we can be amazingly reticent about inviting anyone to anything in case we're invading their privacy, in case they feel pressured. So we don't. Then how are they gonna hear? How are they gonna believe? How are they gonna call? How are they gonna be saved? Can I suggest to you, it's not putting pressure on. Think about it, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If you thought of yourself in that capacity, with beautiful feet. (laughs) No, bringing good news. The the end of the sequence is they will be saved. People need to be saved. Can you imagine translating that reticence, that not wanting to intrude, that not wanting to invade anyone's privacy into another maybe rather ridiculous situation? Can you imagine going up to someone and saying, excuse me, Really don't want to bother you. I hope you don't mind me interrupting. But you're on fire. <laughs> you know, if someone was in desperate need, you'd tell them. You wouldn't think I mustn't, I mustn't put pressure. They need to hear. People need to be saved. God is unimaginably holy and everyone is going to face him one day and everyone has sinned. No one dare face him. That hell is a reality. The anger of God, the holy justice of God is too fearsome to imagine. And there are no exceptions and there are no excuses and there is one way to be saved and we know that way to be saved. Then... We've got to get rid of that reticence. We've got to get rid of that. We don't want to pressure people. What if this is their only chance to hear? And I'm not just talking about the carol service. I'm talking about everything that we do. Let's not be reticent. Let's see, there's a sequence here. God sends, they speak, people hear. And so you see the sequence and it results in people being saved. It's got to happen, and each stage needs to be in place. So, we come to verse 17, where it says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. That's the conclusion. Faith comes from hearing. People need to hear. Faith comes from hearing the message. The message is heard through the word of Christ. That's the word that needs to be shared. We need people to hear it. As I say, that's the conclusion. And yet again, it doesn't conclude there. Because there's some questions again that arise. The great need is for people to hear. Then he says in verse 18, But I ask Did they not hear? Of course they did. So we hit a problem here. Paul has said, Those who hear, how how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? Faith comes from hearing the message. That's what is necessary. People need to hear. They said, But actually, of course, Israel heard. But they didn't believe and they're not saved my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. They've heard, but they didn't call. They didn't believe. They didn't call. They're not saved. So we see that it's possible to hear and yet, in another way, just not hear. To hear without believing. Israel heard they didn't respond. Jesus, of course, came as the Word of God. He spoke God's Word. He did the works of God. Did the nation all believe? No. He said to them, your traditions nullify the word of God. The words are going out. They're not hearing because of their assumptions, because of their tradition. Jesus said a lot about how important it is to really hear. In Luke chapter 8, he tells a story, you know, I'm sure you know the story, the parable of the sower. The sower who goes out scattering seed and it falls in a variety of different places. And so what happens to the seed? Well, you could get a prize sunflower or you could be like Bess. (laughs) Anyway, the seed, I'm sure there was absolutely nothing wrong with the seeds that Phil Horton gave out. It's what happens next. And Jesus tells a parable about that. The seed goes out, but there are different results. And the, the, the point of the whole story, in verse 15, he says, The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Those with a noble and good heart who hear the word and retain it, And by persevering, in other words, retaining it even through difficulties, they hold on to it and they produce a crop. He then goes on to tell another story about lighting a lamp and putting it on a stand. And what's the point of that story? Verse 18 in that same chapter. Therefore, he says, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever whoever does not have... Even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Another story about how do you listen? If you listen well, you get more. And then the next episode, Jesus' mother and brothers come to see him. They couldn't get near him because of the crowd. Someone said, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. Jesus replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice in just a few verses, three references to how do we hear? Are we like good soil, getting hold of it, retaining it, persevering with it, and then producing a good crop? Are we listening carefully so that we get more? Are we, in fact, those who hear God's word and put it into practice, how do we listen So Paul says here in Romans 10, I ask, didn't they hear? Well, yes, they did, but in another way, they didn't. It's possible to hear and yet not. So what's happening right now? What are you hearing? Well, possibly just another sermon off the production line. There was one last week, there'll be one next week. And really, the difficulty, the challenge is, will I still remember what it was about by core group night? Got to retain it at least to midweek, because we're going to talk about it there, and I'd like to be able to remember what it was about. Is that, I mean, let's be real. It's probably some who are like that. And indeed, by core group night, there'll be some who are embarrassed. to think, I really can't remember what it's about. So, just another sermon off the production line. They come, steady flow of them, 52 per year. And we sort of, it's what happens on a Sunday. Is that hearing? Well, obviously not. Obviously not. For other people that it's maybe what they're doing right now is they're listening to what what's the city church line on this they're hearing what city church says or if you know a little bit more about us you're hearing the new frontiers line on it is that hearing no because you're not hearing the word of god We can sidestep issues. It's just another sermon. Or it's just, it's what what Arnold thinks about it. We're missing it. We're missing it. So when Jesus, the Son of God, comes on planet Earth and he's speaking, they're hearing, this is Jesus of Nazareth. They're not hearing God. They're, They're missing the point. The great, preacher of 19th century England, C.H. Spurgeon, talking about the word of God, said, defend the Bible. He said, I would as soon defend a lion. Now let's imagine then, I had uh, behind the veil here, someone said that was there because I've got a cold and I could stand the other side of it and no one would catch my germs, but I'm here, so I hope the people in the front row are okay. But now just imagine behind that. Actually, I mean, wonder what it is there for. But imagine if I move that back, and there was a cage with a lion in it. I mean, that would wake you up. There it is—a lion. Now it's in a cage. That's fine. And so maybe I'd say, "Yeah, feel free to come and have a look." And you you come and have a look at this lion. And uh, we discover that amongst us that there are some people who are quite knowledgeable about lions and they start saying, uh, identifying its its likely age and what part of the world it comes from. And they can tell maybe whether it's bred in captivity or whether it's from the the wild. And and so we're all admiring it. By midweek, you've got to try and remember. uh, Yeah, of course you can remember there was a lion there on Sunday. But uh, if someone asks you to describe it, oh I can't remember now. But just imagine, just imagine, there's the lion in the cage, and we're all gathered around looking at it, and I open the cage. I think it would then be quite obvious who had been here on Sunday. Clothes in tatters, wounds, some maybe wouldn't make it out. It would be quite obvious who had been here on Sunday. Now... Spurgeon said that the Bible is like a lion. You don't need to defend it. It looks after itself. Am I saying then that it's destructive? Well, imagine you came here this morning with your legalism nicely intact. The Word of God comes and you leave with your legalism in tatters. You leave with your pride punctured. You leave with your unbelief killed. The Bible is God's word. It does things. We're not listening to what does he think about it. What's city church's line on this? What's the new frontier's value? We're not listening to those things. This is God's word. Israel didn't hear God's word. They heard what people said. But it was God who sent them. God sends, they preach, people hear. So the question is, well, Paul asked the question, did they not hear? Well, then let's ask ourselves the question, do we hear? Do we hear? God's Word does things. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing, the message is heard through the Word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. Does it? Do, do we get hold of it? Is it working? As we've gone through Romans, for example, looking at the message of grace and and how grace transforms your life. Is your life getting transformed? Is mine. Are we getting hold of this word of faith? Are we seeing? This tells us how believing in, in, in the gospel does what the law could never do. The law couldn't conquer my tendency to sin. The law couldn't deal with habits. The law has got no power. But this has. Have I believed it? Have you believed it? Have, have strongholds in your life got broken as we've gone through Romans? Because you're not hearing, this is what Arnold says. That's what God says. And we're good soil. And we're hearing. We're retaining. We're persevering. Or is it just bouncing off the hardness of our prejudices, preoccupation with other things. Oh, we, we don't really go along with all of this. Oh, people believe all sorts of things. Yeah, one church says this, another says that. What well, can you believe? Is that where we're at? I we say, no, I want to hear God. I believe this is the word of God, and I'm receiving it with faith. Christ is the, you know, those words we looked at last time in verse 4. Christ is the end of the law. So there's righteousness for everyone who believes. What words? Did it get to you? Christ is the end of the law. I'm no longer in law. I'm in Christ. And he's my righteousness. And I've got a relationship. Did it get to you? Does it change the way you think? Does it change your behavior? Or did it bounce off? I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Yeah, but all day long, Isaiah says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites, they may be saved. They've heard it all and they've heard nothing. What are we hearing? Faith comes from hearing. Is it doing so? Is it doing so? You know, as I preach, am I hearing it? Am I believing it? Am I living in it? Is it doing me good? Otherwise, the sequence doesn't work. God sends. They preach. People hear. And it stops there. Now, those who hear, believe. Those who believe, call. Those who call are saved changed. Everything changes when we believe and we call on the name of the Lord. These are not just words, it's the Word of God. First question, then, have we heard? And the second question, well, have we been sent? How can they preach unless they're sent? To whom does that apply? Obviously, it applies to the Apostle Paul. An apostle... Is a sent one. He knows he's been sent. He's eager to preach the gospel. Does it just apply to apostles? Does it just apply to preachers? Well, we know, of course, at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus delivers his parting words to those who have been with him. And what he says to them is, He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. To whom is he speaking there? Well, surely to everyone who believes in him, he is with us even to the end of the age. And the commission is, go, make disciples. When you look in the book of Acts, you see the apostles go. But also, the church was scattered, and everyone went telling everyone the good news. This is for everyone. It it applies to everyone. There is a commission. There's a sequence. God sends. Those who send, speak. Those who hear then believe, call, and are saved. There is one universal condition. Everyone is a sinner. There is one Savior and only one, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one answer to everyone's need, and we've got the answer. It's God's Word. First... We've got to hear. We've got to hear it. Gotta believe it. It's gotta do us good. And when we hear it, when we believe, when we call, when we're saved, a process is set in motion that catches us up into the process of we want to see people saved. It's our heart's desire. It's our prayer to God. Oh God, save, and God sends. And the sequence goes on. So there's a sequence. And the question is, at what stage along the line are we this morning? And that's an individual matter. Are we hearing? Are we hearing? Believing? Is the salvation process working? We know we will be saved. And God's saving us now. He's releasing us from things as we hear God's word. We're not saying this is just man, man's words. We're not saying well, one church believes that and another church believes that. No, this is the word of God. We're coming to God. We're hearing it. Are we there? Is it changing us? Then have we got something to say? Are we gripped with British reticence? don't want to pressure anyone hey we've got good news they're not just on fire they face hell hey we gotta say something okay what if people are offended better to risk offending than just let them go what's where where are we along the line well only you and i and god know the answer individually so let's come to him